0: Welcome to the Future of Support Raising, a podcast at the intersection of race, justice, and the funding of mission. My name is Eric. In early 2019, we held the first Future of Support Raising conference at the Agape Center in Chicago. Over 100 ministry leaders from around the country gathered to explore together how we might make funding mission more equitable. For two days we learned, lamented, dialogued, and dreamed for the future of support raising. I gave the following talk. Having served for years in college ministries, I completed a doctorate in intercultural studies from Fuller Seminary around making support raising more equitable. This talk focuses on the need to shift towards experimentation and learning quickly as you seek the future of support raising. Here's the talk. I, that is part of who I am. I'm a white male. And so some of, uh, some of what we're going to hear is uh, definitely influenced by that. Uh, and they've been a huge blessing to me uh, in my journey of leadership. And um, you know, I, I, I talk about this place where I work as, hey, this is one of the least dysfunctional places I've ever worked in my life. Um, and so it's, it's, it's beautiful. And so we're going to hear a bit of that. Um, thank you to Diana. I have a clicker today. Um, so I'm excited about this so let's go back to the canvas and kind of see where we've been and where we're going so we talked about the foundation of spiritual leadership covenant with God leadership this idea of adaptive leadership we touched more on adaptive leadership when we looked at value conflicts how do we create this container of relationship how do we create this container of trust to where we can turn up the heat and we can keep it up and we can turn it down when we need to but most of our problem is not keeping it heated too long it's that we're, we're not willing to do that. And we're OK with people leaving instead of actually dealing with the heat. We talked about a need for a heart for justice. Some of you, that's, that's easy. You're just going to use the organizational language you already have. Others of you, that's, a, that's the thing you're most afraid of when you leave here is, how do I bring, maybe I'll quote Amos. Amos talks about justice. And I love Grace doing that. It's like, yeah, it's all through the Bible, a lot more than most of what our pastors usually preach on. Um, we talked about the broken current system. We did the simulation. We'll have, you know, I'll email out links to that after the conference if you want to use something similar to that in your context. We heard from Barnabas on this need for empathy and proximity and his own story. I I love his story because he's not a leader. He's not an organizational leader. He's not a team leader. He just said, I'm going to do something, and I'm going to jump in the water. Um, And I think all of us can jump in the water. Now, we may have questions if anybody's going to jump after us. And maybe both of us are going to drown. Um, and so that's, those are things to think about. But Barnabas didn't wait until he was given permission. He said, I'm going to move forward. And you can see the ripple effects when we listen to Jessica later. There are people on the team now who were not even there when Barnabas was on the team, who are benefiting as a result of his action. We talked about achievable solutions. This is kind of what everyone's looking for. We'll hear one more today from Sandy Hinkle in just a little while. But these are things that we can try. Um, But what I want to spend the first part of this morning before we go to break is on this idea of experimentation. Um, And the goal within experimentation is what what can you test on a small scale. So we're gonna go a little bit into my my startup world here, but a a startup is a business in search of a revenue model that will work. Okay? So any startup who starts out, whether you're Facebook, whether you're Tiny, whatever it is, you don't actually have a business model that's gonna work. And so your job is to learn as quickly as possible. It's actually not to make money as fast as possible. Because you don't actually know what your customers are looking for. Um, You don't actually know what's going to work or not work. And so the idea of what you're doing is all the time, uh, so we're a web startup, we're building things out there, we're getting feedback, and then we're saying, oh, they really love that, we should build more of it. Or, no, people hate that, they're super confused. We just made this worse. Undo it. Let's do something else. Okay, so that's very business language. I, w- I want to recognize that. But what you're going for is you begin to look at the future of support raising and how this may work. Is you're not actually looking for the full solution right away. You're saying, what can I begin to test? What can I begin to learn? Um, how can I begin to kind of move towards these things? And so, a lot of times, when we think um, kind of about coming up with new models, I think we, in our minds, are thinking of this approach. So we say, okay, I'm gonna take the first step and I know I need to build a car. So I know my city team, we need a million dollar budget. So what's an idea that's gonna come up with a million dollars? Those are hard to come by. (laughs) It's not easy to come up with an idea that nobody else has had to fund your team for a million dollars or to do it in an equitable way. Um, But a lot of times we take this step of like, well, okay, let's, let's do one of the wheels and two of the wheels and then let's do, but the problem is, If you were trying to build a car in this way, you don't have a car until you get to the very end. And you may have built the wrong car. You may realize, oh, shoot, we needed a minivan. (laughs) That would have been helpful to know early on that we needed a minivan before we were going to move forward. And so one of the paradigms that that I enjoy is actually approaching it this way. That it's saying, our goal is transportation. Our goal is moving us forward. So we're going to start off with a skateboard. And we're going to test that and see if we can get it to work. And then we're going to go to a scooter. And we're going to test that. Then we might go to a bicycle. We might put a little engine on the back. Then we might upgrade a little bit and actually get a real motorcycle. Okay. But all along the way, you're beginning to take these steps. And you're beginning to iterate and beginning to say, OK, let's try this. What if, what if we do this? So I was talking with a, a youth ministry on the West Coast. And we were talking about this idea of experimentation and just throwing out different things. So. When Christy and I were on campus working with Latino students, the first place we began to experiment and to iterate um, was in summer mission trips. Because uh, they're easy. They're contained. You're not looking at million dollar budgets. You're not looking at contain, you know, long term, how we keep this person around for a long time. And so our students really began to say, well, yeah, we'll do the letter thing. But I don't know about my community if that's going to make sense. But in my community, we do these barbecue plate sales. We do them after church on Sunday. You pass out tickets. And people come by, and they buy barbecue plates, $6 a piece. And that's just like a normal thing. And I was like, OK, I grew up in a white Southern Baptist church. We don't do barbecue plate sales. You know, we do like fifth Sunday ice cream fellowship, you know, and cake and punch and things like that. But sure, go for it. We're, we're trying anything we can. And so they're like, well, what's great about this is my tia, she can't get money towards my trip. But she can cook rice for 50 people. And my mom, she's willing to help get the chicken that we can barbecue. And I, I got a, an uncle that he'll, he'll barbecue it. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't really like what I'm doing. But he's behind me. He's my family. And so they started to do that. And they started. And what, they, what I began to learn is, oh, this exists for a long time in the Latino church. And people come by, and they're like, hey, I want 10 plates. You're going to feed 10 people? No. But here's $100. Keep the change. And there's this, this way of giving that makes sense. So first couple of students we had raised $1,500 on a barbecue plate sale. $1,800 on a barbecue plate sale. And we're like, whoa, okay. So we have some students that were in Laredo, Texas, border town. And they say, you know, people in our town, they'll do a bucket brigade. They'll stand at the street corner near one of the stoplights with a sign that says, hey, I'm going to Africa. Got their bucket. And people will give, give change. And I'm like, Really? Is that that's what you want to do? And I'm like, no, no, trust us. I'm like, okay. And um, so they're they you know standing out there and they say, well, what we got to do is we got to pick the right weekend. We got to pick the weekend closest to the first of the month, because that's when all the people in my community get paid, and that's when they're going to give. I'm like, okay. So they go out there on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, they do it for I think two weekends, maybe three weekends during the summer. And they're just like, hey, I'm going to Africa. So they get quarters. They're on the border of Mexico. They get pesos. They get masapans, little candies, you know, like just a <laughs> little bit of a time. And, uh, and then they count the money at the end of the few weekends that they did. The three of them working out there, they got $5,000 at a time. Now, we, you know, if I try to do a bucket brigade in Austin, <laughs> Austin doesn't do bu- bucket brigades, but Laredo does, and the students knew that. And so it was a way to begin to kind of experiment to say, so I, I'm talking with this youth ministry that's on the West Coast, and I'm giving them some of these ideas. And they're like, you know, around here, especially uh, it was coming up before Christmas, they're like, people love tamales. Like, and we, a bunch of the high schools that we're working in are Latino high schools. Like, what if we just started to do tamales, and we just did an order? And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. You could try to see if you can sell some and make some money for these staff that you're trying to bring on. Um, and so I said, what you ought to do is you ought to go see if you can get 20 orders. Don't even figure out how to make them yet. Don't figure out how you're going to do that. Just see if you can find anyone that will order them. And they went and they did. And people, they got the orders and they said, oh, well, now we've got to make, you know. But now we're having the parents whose kids are benefiting from this to say, oh, yeah, I'll make tamales for you. That's easy. So they began to get $500 a month from tamales to help fund the high school ministry that was going on there. And this is just a quick experiment. They're not saying, hey, do we want to become West Coast Tamale Company? Okay, (laughs) They're not saying necessarily they're going that way, but they're experimenting. And they're saying, what does it look like? And they're getting benefits, not just of how do we get money for our ministry, but we're involving the community. And we're helping people see this. And they're actually a ministry that was moving from kind of we're fully supporting everyone to we want some of the staff to raise some of the money. We don't want them to raise all of it but how do we begin kind of to experiment in this direction? So when you're, when you're experimenting and when you're thinking of new options, and you'll probably spend a bit of time, this afternoon you're going to have an hour and a half to kind of go through your own canvas, okay? So if you came with a group of people, you'll get to do that in a group. If you came by yourself, you'll get to kind of uh, brainstorm with other people who came by themselves. But you're going to probably spend some time on what, what are some ideas we can experiment with? What could we walk out of here with? And so the idea is, you want to begin to test the assumptions that you're making. Now, this is the hardest part in experimenting, is you don't even realize the assumptions you're making. That's why they're assumptions, okay? So I want to walk through three that are kind of examples before you to kind of begin to think through this stuff. So one is the donors won't give to groups. So whenever I bring up, hey, we should pool our money or we should do some kind of sharing or we should give their... Usually there's somebody who raises their hand and says, yeah, but donors don't give to groups. They give to individuals. That's why support raising works so well. Okay? Because my grandma gives to me. She doesn't give to a group of people. And I said, that's great. Um, I think that's an assumption. I don't think you actually know if that's true. Because I, I, what I would recommend you do is you go and do 10 asks. And you do five of them for yourself and five of them for a group. And you figure out, what do you learn from that? You might learn that you're terrible at asking for a group. Okay? You might learn that there are actually ministry partners who would rather give to a group and who are compelled by a vision towards that. Um, When Christy and I joined staff with InterVarsity, we began raising support to move to Los Angeles. And I started talking about support raising. because I knew, like, this is a big deal. And every single ministry appointment I went on, i talk about Latino ministry, and then i talk about, and we want to change the game in support raising. We don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to. And every single appointment, within five minutes, they totally understood. They're not invested in the model, so they don't have the emotional hang-ups. So they can say, oh, yeah, that makes total sense, why you can't get more Latino staff. Yeah, we want to help you be a part of that. Here, let me brainstorm some ideas. Maybe we want to, we want to give to help some of those staff until you get something new. Um, But it was this sense of every single one of them understood. And I got really good at being able to explain that and being able to ask on behalf of a group of people. Um, So I think this idea that donors don't give to groups, I think that's an assumption. I think it's a faulty one. But maybe you'll find out, actually, no, that's a good assumption in your context. (laughs) OK. That's fine. So then how do you split the money once it comes in? How do we deal with donor intent? And Chris uh, had a great point yesterday. We already take money from donors and put it towards operational expenses. We have no problem doing that. So how do we talk about it in this broader context? How do we begin to educate the people that we're we're partnering ministry with? And in many cases, honestly, how do we let them educate us? Because many of them are much further along the road. And they're saying, oh, we we have some of our ministry partners. They actually give more because we're doing these kinds of things. We're excited to partner with you because you actually want to see something happen that's different. So this would be one that you could begin to test. You can, be, you know, the way to find an assumption is first thing that comes into your mind when you say somebody gives an idea and you, oh, that won't work because great, go test that. Because you're probably wrong. Okay? So just was you think this afternoon you're hearing somebody, that won't work because there's your assumption. Now figure out how to test it. Here's one we heard less yesterday. If we're on campus less, or in your city less, or in your center less, our ministry results will suffer. Will it? Are we that good? Does God need us that much? I think what we figure out, you know, listening to Jessica yesterday, they they invested more in students, and they said students are gonna lead. Um, I know that's heretical for most campus ministries to actually let students lead, Um, but it's powerful. And what's happening? What would happen in the center if we said, we're empowering local people to lead and to step up? Um, I was talking, I forget who I was talking with, about kind of community development organizations. That they've been in the community for 50 years. How come it hasn't been developed? Because we stay and we keep control. And so as you look at places like the Agape Center that are involving people and bringing people from the community and giving leadership and turning that over and saying, yeah, this is how we create it. But there's an assumption there for us of, okay, well, what, what if I'm only doing it four days a week instead of five? Can God really show up? And I think it, it shows that we have this very transactional nature. Um, how much time I spend doing this is going to get my results. So I had a, I had a friend uh, who was working with a, with a campus ministry and was trying to get people to, to work with Latino students and said, hey, will you give one of your staff members on your team one day a week to help reach Latino students on your campus. And the person told them, they said, hey, you know that, that's great. But I know if I have that person on campus, this is how many Bible studies I'm going to get, how many people are going to be at my weekly meeting, how many decisions for Christ are going to be, and how many discipleship. And you're asking me to give up that return on investment to invest, to invest in that. I know people think that way. I didn't think people would actually say it out loud. But thats we're all that way, in some sense. And so let's begin to test the assumption. Maybe we go off campus. I know when Christy and I started um, ministry at Texas A&M, we were like, OK, well, we're starting. We're, God's growing. The ministry's growing a lot. But we're out of money, and we've got to feed our kids. Now, I'm going to take off two months, and I'm going to go raise support full time. Leave it in the hands of the students. We came back. The ministry had doubled. <laughs> because I was, I was out of the way. <laughs> um, and it was like, oh, okay, this is a great strategy. Let me tell the rest of the country. <laughs> go, go do this. But it was powerful for me. It was like, okay, I'm coming back on campus. I better not try to take this back, because God's already doing it. And so there's assumptions as we look at figuring out how to fund ministry that we think we're a lot more indispensable than we actually are. So there's an assumption. Test it. Do it. Go for, go for two months with one more day off out of your ministry context, working on funding. See what actually happens. Do what, do what the Chicago team does here. Three hours of prayer in the morning, five hours of MPD in the afternoon. Here's one I talked about this morning with someone. We should all be full-time ministers. None of us be bivocational, co-vocational, which is a term I heard for the first time here. Um, wh- why, why is this the assumption that we're all moving towards, that, that full-time ministry is the best thing for everyone. What about having jobs and being in, co- in the community, having a context within which to minister? I, I think this is huge. I know when, when we would live overseas, people didn't know what to do with us. People didn't, don't know what to do with us here. Like, How do you get your money? Are you CIA? Are you a drug dealer? Like, wh- what are you, you know? But being one of the things I enjoy about working at the startup, I, I enjoy the people I work with. I enjoy learning and having them shape me, me getting to shape them. I think for us, we, you know, I was asked the question this morning, when did we switch towards tent making being what a small number of people do, and we're trying to get everybody to full time? Maybe there's a way for us to do ministry that, that has a mixture. Now, I know a lot of our ministries have made this possible, where you can have part-time staff, or they can be bivocational. But the problem is they tend to be less than. So if you want a senior leadership role, you've got to be full time. Or we're going to have our meetings on Wednesday at 10 AM. Well, that's great, but I've got another job. There's a reason if you book a consulting call with me at 58 that you can't do it before 3 PM Central. I have another job. So if you want to do something earlier that day, I've got to decide, is this worth one of my vacation days to take off for that? Or if I'm out of vacation days, is this worth not getting paid to come for that? But I think for us to begin to look here, um, this was something as we did Latino college ministry that I was like, in L.A., what about our whole team? Go buy vocational. We get jobs. We're having skills. We're building our resumes. Um, Or maybe just some of us. Maybe you have somebody like me who's like, okay, I'll work full time and my wife can do ministry full time. And we'll balance it out. I know when Christy was in the seminary, there was church planting that was going on. I think it was in Romania. I forget which country uh, your classmates were from. But they did a church planting model where they said, great, we're going to send out three couples. Two of them work full time, and the other work focuses on the church plant. And that's how we're going to fund things. Yeah, okay, why not? And so I think there are ways for us to begin to broaden this and begin to question those assumptions that we're making, that it takes that full-time ministers are the best. Now, I think there's a need for people to focus full time. But is that all of us? And is that the best setting? Um, Some of our best partners on campus were people that worked on the campus, that were in the administration, that were faculty, that were student counselors on campus, and could be a part of what we were doing. So one of the ideas I want to share about from the research that I did. was this idea of an accelerator. So again, this is kind of startup language. But one of the ministries I worked with, they had a bunch of money. I forget how much, $30,000 or something. And so typically, when we have extra money and we're trying to kind of fix support raising, we, we tend to go down a, uh, a model of, let's give some matching grants. Okay? And we, we kind of have this in our mind of, OK, great. If you'll work harder and get more support, we'll double whatever, you co- whatever comes in. Now, we might give some kind of stipulations to that, like it needs to be monthly giving or it needs to be every gift over $300 will double or something like that. Um, But we tend to kind of think like, okay, the model's okay. They just need a little bit of encouragement and they need some help. Um, For me, that that doesn't address the long-term the system's broken. Um, And so if you talk to people over time, they'll begin to tell you, I'm so tired of matching grants. I don't want any more matching grants. That's not what I want. It doesn't fix this. A Band-Aid doesn't help at this point. Um, So what this leader did is they said, "Okay, let's forget the matching grants. Let's give the money to the teams. They had three teams. Let's give them each $10,000, and your job is to run experiments this year. Just discover things. Figure it out. We're going to give you time, and we're going to give you money. This doesn't come off of your staff account or off your organizational account, but we're going to pull, and you get this money and go for it. And so she checks in throughout the year to be able to kind of see what are you doing? What are you working with? I've consulted with some of them to kind of give them ideas of what can you try in your context. Um, But then they're coming up on a year now to where they're saying, "Okay, what have we learned? What are we going to do? Okay, let's get some more money, and let's begin to experiment more and more. And so I think for a lot of you, especially who are higher up in your organization, that this is actually a really helpful model for you to say, "Okay, we've got money. You might have $10,000 for your organization, you might have Five hundred thousand dollars for your organization, but to begin to say, let's place some bets, let's invest in some places and see, you know, if you if you take a typical, a typical, and again I'm I recognize I'm very startup language right now, like a tip, typical venture venture capital fund, they invest in all kinds of companies, and they know only a few of them are going to work out, and that's okay because they're learning. So how do you begin to kind of go in these areas? How do you begin to look for people? like Sandy, like Jessica, who are in your organization and are doing things, but for whatever reason, the organization has developed antibodies against and has said, mm, we're just going to marginalize that. And if they work, well, that's amazing because we're not helping. What would it be to come alongside and say, let's let's inject some more money in here. Let's help some things out. Let's figure it out. Um, so I would say. As you're thinking through experiments, and as you're, as you're running things, you, you really need to be going after solutions that deal with a broken system. So I'm not all that interested in options or experiments that fundamentally, when you, you look at the assumption, it's about, well, let's just give you a little bit of boost for a while. Um, so some of the ways we've approached it in the past um, when we lived overseas, the way that would work with national staff, so we lived in countries where there's 300 Christians in the whole country. And so when they come on staff and they want to raise support, there is a real limit to the number of people they can raise support from. Okay? It's 299 people. Okay? That's, that's the limit. Um, and so what often we'll do is we'll say, okay, for the first year, we'll pay you 100%. Second year, 80. Third year, 60. Forty, 20. Okay? then you're you should be a full support. And what that says, intentional or not, is the model's okay. You just need a little help at the start. And I would say the model's not okay. Now, help can be good. I'm not saying don't help people. I'm not saying do not don't do some of the programs that our organizations have to help people get started. And there's another organization that that takes 1% of all the money that comes in and then gives that to the ethnic minority communities within there and says you distribute this the way that you see best. And so the way it actually works there is the longer you're on staff the more money you get. Okay? Where some of the senior staff are getting a significant portion of their money raised. Now, when you look at what those ethnic minority communities have said, they've said, "Hey, we know the model's broken, and we know the longer you're here the harder it gets, and we're going to distribute money that way." Now, it hasn't solved the entire problem, but It is addressing the broken system. And then I would say, whatever your experiments are, they need to impact everybody on the team. So this can't just be, all right, the women are going to experiment with this, because they're the ones who need the help. Or the people who came to faith in college are going to experiment. It needs to be some kind of experiment that happens where it affects everyone. Because what I said is the problem is not what we think it is. The problem is it needs to work deep in our hearts. And so as you think through solutions, don't just be thinking at the monetary material level, but thinking about how are we helping to use this to disciple people within this process. So I want to go back in time and talk a little bit about Bill Bright. Um, a lot of people in the room are on staff with Crew, um, And I want to talk a little bit about the history of how Crew started. So 1951, UCLA. Um the reason I'm talking about crew is Bill Bright didn't kind of create this model, but but he perfected it and the staff that came on with him. And so everyone else in the room who's raising support, you're doing it because of Bill Bright, in large part. Um, and the way that he does things has influenced what you're doing and what your organization does. So I, I love going back and reading the original stories. I'm going to kind of generalize a little bit. So if, you know, if I get some dates wrong, that's OK. Um, they start in 1951. Bill Bright owns a candy store, Bright's Confections. Okay? And he's been going in, a, in LA, and he's been trying to minister in the prisons. And he gets there, and there's a line. And he has to wait. All the churches are ministering in the prisons. And so then he goes onto the college campus, He's a businessman. He's an entrepreneur. And he's like, there's nobody here. Nobody's ministering to college students. This is wide open space. This is blue ocean. Okay, I'm going to go here. Let's, let's do college ministry. And the first year, they have some of the football players, the fraternities, the sororities. So you can see kind of the echoes of Cruz still today. Um, they start coming to Christ, and they start happening. And it explodes. There's like over 200 people involved. And so Bill's like, wow, something's happening here. We need some staff. Like, We need some people helping. This can't just be me, me and Vonette while I'm also selling sweets. So they bring on some staff, and he pays them out of the profits of his candy store or his sweet shop. That's great. Ministry keeps exploding. Um, and then he says, well, I don't have enough profits. <laughs> so let's raise some money. So he starts raising money. He's raising the money. Staff are out there working, and they keep, it keeps growing. And then he says, all right, I can't raise enough money for what God's doing. You all have to start raising money yourselves. <laughs> okay? And they started kind of doing this process. Um, but I think if you think back to that picture, he didn't start out and think, okay, how do I build this car? I'm going on campus, and I know eventually this is going to take off and I'm going to need about $500 million a year. okay? Because that's what Crew raises right now. So How do I get $500 million? He doesn't do that. He just begins, all right, I'm going to pay people out of my profits. OK, I'm going to raise some money. He's in Hollywood, Hollywood Presbyterian. He knows some people. Well, he runs out of people there. Let's, let's tap into this. Let's see what God can do. And the ministry grows all over the world. It's huge. But. Seeing this mentality and this way of going about it. So, a lot of times I'll talk with crew staff. W- there's this sense of we can kind of get into our model that we've been trained in and we've perfected and we've operationalized. And we said, This is the way we do it, this is the way we go. And we can forget that there was lots of experimentation, there was lots of trying new things. So, one of the things that crew did in the ni- early 1970s is they partnered with a real estate developer in Dallas and they said, Let's buy some apartments, okay? And we'll create residual income for the ministry. Because we'll rent them out, we'll have property managers, and this will go great. So again, he starts in 51. In 71, he's still trying to figure out how do we fund this thing? OK? What are some different ways that we can do? He's not stuck on the support raising model. Um, Problem was, he's good at ministry. He's not good at picking real estate developers. Okay, It went really south and looked really bad. they didn't do anything illegal, they weren't trying to do things poorly, but it did not look good on the ministry. So you had president of Dallas Seminary kind of having to send out messages like, look, Bill Bright's not a charlatan. They made some mistakes, but you can continue to trust this ministry. So I think there's some institutional wisdom that comes out of that, but probably some institutional scarring that happens as well, to where it's like, oh, we tried some different things. And that could have tanked the whole ministry. Now, I think you can be smart about your experimentation. Okay? You, you need to check with people and talk with people who are wiser with you, maybe some of your ministry partners who have expertise in this area. But for me, it shows this example of, okay, even 20 years in to growing this ministry, he's still looking for different ways. And I think we can have that same kind of mentality and same kind of environment. And so I recognize most, most of us here aren't on staff crew. But it has been such an influence on the way that we raise money, um, having been trained by. And so you know, one of the, if, if you've been around crew at all, one of the, the sayings is you want to take the initiative on something. So if you're sharing your faith, you take the initiative and in the power of the Holy Spirit share the to share the gospel, and you leave the results to God. Okay? I think the same thing's happening for us in experimentation. We're taking the initiative to run some experiments in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to leave the results to God, and we're going to learn, and we're going to say, okay, well, we learned this doesn't work, or we learned this does work, or we're going to try this. Maybe maybe you do become West Coast Tamale Sales. Maybe you don't. Maybe you figure out that, hey, actually, it's working really well for us to ask on behalf of the group, and we do all our asks on behalf of the group, even though we still have individual accounts. And I put those in air quotes, because remember, they don't exist. They're not, they're not real, even though we think they are. Okay, um, And so I think this is my challenge to you. And my, what I want to encourage you to begin to think through is, you're not trying to think of the whole car. What's, what's that next skateboard you need? What's that next scooter? And begin to think through what are some of the experiments. So you can read the achievable solutions. You can read the case studies. You can hear from Sandy later today. And you may pick up some of that and say, great, she's done a bunch of experimentation. And we're going to pick up where she left off and run. Or you might say, well, how might we tweak that a little bit? And let's continue to walk in that direction. So. What I want to end you with here is what Jessica shared yesterday, which is, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's scary for us to turn up the heat. It's scary for us to step out and to say this is broken and I'm not okay with that anymore. It's scary to say "All right, we're gonna try something we're gonna try we're gonna connect with Ginny and try to do something with foundations and talk about how our ministry works that way or we're gonna begin to ask on behalf of a group or it might be scary for you to say this is a non-negotiable on our team. That if you're If you're unwilling to move away from every staff for themselves, then you don't minister here, and this is not for you. That takes courage, and that's hard to move towards. But I think this is the, the calling that I think Jessica has given to us and what we want to have today is as we do experimentation, as we begin to look through our canvas and begin to fill that out, what does it mean to be strong and be courageous? Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. You can find more resources in the show notes and on our website at futureofsupportraising.com, where we have case studies, Bible studies, leadership guides, a Facebook community, and information about upcoming conferences and more. Our Father in heaven, may your kingdom come.